Hello and welcome to The Outerview with myself, Alan Swan, on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Our guest today is Jack Murray. Jack is a media innovator with over 20 years' experience at the most senior levels in the Irish communications industry. He has worked in marketing, journalism and media relations, and he's a former political spokesperson and government advisor, as well as an award-winning corporate PR practitioner. In 2016, Jack created All Good Tales after realising that communications was entering a golden age of storytelling and that all those with the best stories succeed. Jack had his eureka moment and made a discovery about how the most successful storytelling organisations operate and he documented it in The Magic Slice. He's a native of Ballin and Slow. He lives in Harold's Cross, Dublin with his wife, two daughters and dog called Maxi Lopez. Our guest today on The Outerview, talking all about the art of interviewing and storytelling, is Jack Murray. Um, Well, I've been involved in the storytelling business for over a decade now. And um, I started off, I suppose, working in political communications when not long after leaving college and um, worked in the world of politics for about five years and... uh, always been fascinated by this notion that in journalism and in communications that um, the currency that gets traded every day is your story and you're only as good as the last good story that you had when you're a journalist and you're only as good as the last story you 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 have when you're a PR person or a communicator. Um, I left that in 2003 and set up my own PR company and did that for about three years on my own and then just had a real hankering for uh, building something, making something. Um, in broadcasting, in journalism, and communications, there's a lot of talk and um, stories come and they go. And I wanted to actually build something, a physical thing that I could kind of stand over. So um, Mike Burns, who actually was a former London editor in RTE back in the day, had started a publication called the Irish Media Contacts Directory. And uh, a physical book, um, full of contacts of journalists and um, I th- there was an ad Alan when I was a kid that uh, was by a guy called Victor Kayam for Remington Microproducts and the catch line was I was so impressed I bought the company and right. um, I was a customer of the directory and I loved it and uh, I approached Mike and I bought the directory and got a bank loan got the directory and very quickly then kind of realized God what have I done like Mike Mike passed me over the assets of the title, which were five boxes of books in an underground car park um, in Dublin city centre. It was like a scene out of The Sopranos. And um, after about five weeks in, like big PR companies would come and they would buy like two copies of the book uh, and there'd be 25 people in an agency. So we started building a digital, um, we started building a digital version of the product, which became Media HQ. And... Media HQ very quickly became like a much bigger thing. Uh, it's an online product that people use to distribute stories, to distribute press releases. Um, and that brings me up to, I suppose, how did the Story Terrorist Manifesto come out? Um, Media HQ has been on the go for uh, eight years now as a, as a digital tool within the PR and communication industry in Ireland. And when we were coming up to the milestone of the 100,000 story shared by our clients, so every day people log in, they build media lists and they use the tool to distribute their own stories. I started having a really deeper look at what people share. And if you could imagine our office, our office is like a stock trading room where we get to see the news just before it happens. Mm. So 
if anybody's sharing a press release, it pops up on a line in the big screen in our office and we get to see it. And this notion took hold in my head, looking at it. Great stories get more and the best stories get more emotional reaction. They get more engagement. Um, they get more sales. Um, they always get better results. Um, so the notion to start an agency that would help people tell great stories, because one of the things that fascinates me is I have um, I have two small uh, daughters, not that small now, they're seven and ten, but if you take a seven-year-old child, they can tell you a perfect story with a beginning, a middle and an end, with a hero, with a villain, with three acts, and that's all hardwired into all of us. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do in the agency, which is called All Good Tales, is we wanted to t- talk to organizations and, and, and companies and say, look, how could you actually build your communication on stories? And how could you put stories at the heart of how you get the message out there? And wouldn't that be much better than a really bad press release, a terrible website, or a, or a report that nobody's going to read? And that's where it started. Because I was reading, um, there's a, a very famous advertising guy, uh, his surname's Hegarty, based in, in, in London. John Hegarty, yeah. John Hegarty, and, and he, goes on no, quite, he goes on quite a lot about, you know, what's the, what's the best brand in the world? Uh, and he will always say the best brand in the world is, uh, or the best logo in the world, is the, is the cross, is the story of, of Jesus, uh, mm. because it's the best story. And you know they've got the they've got the best re, they've got the best kind of uh, land uh, they've got churches they've got the best logo which is the which is the cross and they have the best story and stories simple stories are the ones that people relate to. Oh, they do, and like one of the one of the things that we do now, and the storytellers manifesto came out of that where. I sat down with the team and th- you mentioned that it's a beautiful booklet. The story behind the booklet is that uh, I went on a trip um, last in this year, in February of this year. And um, the trip started in um, London. Then it went to Brighton. Um, I went to a storytelling conference in, in London. I went to Brighton for the weekend with my wife. And, uh, and then I went to New York for a few days uh, from there. But when I was in Brighton, um, I had been thinking about the idea of how to share this message about storytelling with people. And I went into a, a bookshop called Brighton Books that has a lot of antique books. And on the shelf, I found this wonderful pamphlet. Um, and it was uh, an instructional guide for commissioned army officers. The book that was 70 years old and wonderfully scuffed, rusted staples and like a terribly sexist document and kind of wonderful vignettes of you know, advising commissioned army officers not to monopolize um, the attention of the pretty girls at the dance because there's also, there's also other people there and uh, loads of kind of really funny stuff like that. But I came back and I was really taken by the physical form of the, of, of the pamphlet. And I went to Brooklyn um, to an event for a couple of days. And in the coffee shops of Brooklyn, I started writing the Storyteller's Manifesto. And I brought it back to our designer and I said, could we could we make something beautiful like this 75-year-old uh, booklet that possibly could be around in 75 years' time uh, in the same shape and form as this? And she said, no problem. And she went off and she sourced all the small details like really, really high-end paper and the card. And one of the things that's really curious now in the digital world is in the digital world where 
you know, communications is really fast. If you produce something thoughtful that's a physical object, it will make people pause. And I think, you know, at the heart of, of most organizations, there are great stories. One of the things we encounter in, the, in our daily work is, is that an awful lot of people um, do conventional things like reports and press releases and bad websites. And when you really question them, there's a custom and practice at the heart of what they do that's broken. And sometimes they'll say to you, well, I just do it because people would expect it. Of yeah. And is, they don't they is, don't get to the core of, of the fact that it's not really it's not really working. Is that the is that the reason why that people have a checklist? And this is everything from journalists to PR companies. Um, they have a check, check a thing that they think is a checklist that's in their mind to go, well, I have to include all of this and all of this and check this and keep this person happy and do that. When in fact, actually, the simpler it is, the better it is. Well, we, we had a like we've we run lots of different courses over the years. And a story I like to tell is the course we ran a couple of years ago about how to write a press release. And there's a moment in the course where it's almost like group therapy. It's almost like Alcoholics Anonymous for, for media ideas, where I get people to basically fess up what their next idea for a story they're going to share in a press release. And down in the corner of the room was this woman who worked for a charity. And we asked them three questions. What's your next story? Is it any good? If you send it out, will anybody care? And who do you think will ring you back? So really kind of pinpoint stuff. And the woman starts by saying, don't everybody laugh. And I said, what's your next idea for a story you're going to share? I'm going to write a press release about bringing a busload of kids to the zoo on Friday. And I said, right, is that a good idea? It's a horrible idea. And I said, why are you doing it? And she said, because people expect me to. Mm. And the amount of energy that gets burned in in all organizations because people expect people to. And one of the big challenges of communications is you feed in substandard ideas into a poor approval process and you multiply one by the other and you get something horrible out uh, the back end. One of the things, the series that we're currently doing on our blog, which um, I love, is a series called Brand Story Heroes. And we take different brands, whether it's, you know, Patagonia, um, one of the ones that I was working on last week, I think is fantastic, is a, a product called Burt's Bees. And Burt's Bees um, is, they make lip balms, um, they make a lot of baby products like creams and stuff like that. I know it well. And, yeah. <laughs> well I have two funny. kids, I know the, it well. Yeah, well, I'm out of the far end of, of it. <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. I, 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 I make I make stuff up with my kids every night just to entertain myself. Yeah. And I created this fictitious character called Brendan, who was Bert's brother, and that Bert was mean to him. And then just out of the curiosity of making all that up, I went because Bert's picture appears on the front of this cream, and it's this unbelievable love story, where Bert is this hippie who's checked out of society, who is living in Maine, and has a stall where he sells his honey, and because they're from Bert's bees, they're called Bert's bees. And he picks up this woman one day and she's a local writer and uh, they get into business together and she's far more commercial than Bert. And the business develops and his essence and his hippie nature becomes part of the brand. And what you won't find in any of the corporate websites is that they have a spectacular falling out and uh, she buys him out and they split up and then the company gets bought out for hundreds of millions. But if you you know, have a small baby and you've got cream or you've got lip balm or whatever you've got, the essence of Bert and his bees and his table side stand are still hardwired into that product. And yeah. that's the beauty of that story. 
One of the things that I came across in the booklet, and I think this, is, to me anyway, is at the core of why people are afraid to tell the story sometimes, is that they think that they're not creative enough. That they think that they can, somehow, to tell a story, you have to be Steven Spielberg. And what I like about, um, I, and I think your book actually sets it up from the very beginning. Um, the minute you open it up, it just says, The Simple Guide to Storytelling for Business. And if you break it down quite simply, and if you spend many pages in this book, it's only about, it's about, what, 35? It's about 30 yeah. pages and then notes at the back. It really is, it's, it's a good time investment to sit down and go through the 30 pages because I feel a lot of people won't sit down and tell the story because they have this in their head that they're not a storyteller and at the heart of it, sure, I'm not one of those creative people that does this. Well, you mentioned John Hegarty at the start. Um, I was only quoting him yesterday in a meeting and... Uh, John Hegarty was asked, what is the difference between creative people and other people? And he said he thought he knew a lot about creativity and he was really stumped by this question. And he said the answer to the question is creative people take risks. And it doesn't matter if you're a poet, a writer, a musician or a PR person or an ad executive. If you're making stuff and pushing it out into the world, people might hate it. And that's something that you have to become au fait with when you're, in, when you're working in stuff uh, cre- creatively. There's an awful lot of safe havens in the world of work. In my experience, when people get addled, they will always go to the safe work, the process-driven work, the work that they're not going to get judged in. And what you have to do in organizations is reward the risk takers and reward the people who take a chance. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you can do that, yeah, sure enough, you might do something. And people might hate it. But sometimes people come into me and they're completely blocked and seized up. And I say to them, start a small project. So like the Storyteller's Manifesto was a small project. It didn't cost a lot of money. There was a lot of love and passion poured into it. And conversations like this, you know, I sent one to Santa Barbara last week. I sent one to Hong Kong yesterday. But it started with something small. I am a classic example of somebody who came out of the Irish education system utterly broken. My writing was never good enough to make it into the school yearbook. I still slag my teachers. Um, I was terrible at art. I went to business school and got to the second last year of my degree. And I looked at everybody around me who wanted to be financial controllers and wanted to be accountants. And I thought, I don't want to be like any of these people. I want to create stuff every week if I can. I want to do creative stuff as much as I can. And I want to take that risk. So I think if anybody's listening and they're wondering, how do you do it? You start small and actually if you if you stack a project right with enough love and passion in it and you start small, you can re-engineer how people think in an organization. And I'm always saying to people, look, start a side project on something that you really believe in. And if you get a good result on it, people will then come to you and say, oh, you see that thing that you did? Could you do that for me? And then the, and then the game is played on your rules. You say, yeah, I can do that thing for you, but we're going to have to do things a little bit differently to get success. Absolutely. Fear is a terrible thing, isn't it? Like, I, I remember this, and, and somebody made a really good point, and it stuck with me quite a lot, actually. Uh, Jamie Foxx did a podcast with Tim Ferriss there about a year ago, and he always had this kind of fear of people kind of finding him out on different things, or he was always worried about like what his parents would think about if he did a show or, or a movie. And he has this line which he says is, you know, what's on the other side of fear? Nothing. 
really at the end of the day there's not really anyone can do anything to you except say something to you and really what's fearful in that and I think you kind of have to stop worrying about what people think about you and you just kind of just have to as you said yourself just dip your toe in start off simply and get going like this book in itself you you made that, that, that very valid point about being at school and you know thinking that you'd never kind of make it in that sense of having a real job um, like this should be on the on the curriculum for, for the Leaving Cert on how to tell good stories well I, like I think if people can tell stories about and I'm just back from New York where I was at Future of Storytelling Festival which had everything from like very high end technology and virtual reality to immersive theatre where you know you're drawn in where I went to a play um, where the premise of the play was a woman in a, in a bathtub with a broken arm and her arm in a cast and she couldn't wash her hair or wash her back and some very nervous people in the front row of the play had to wash this woman. There was lots of suds in the bath, I might add. And, uh, a lot of burnt bees. Not a, not a burnt bees. <laughs> but I, I do think that like creative work is very fulfilling and the other thing too is that like to get mathematical about it, it's a percentage game and one of the big things about I think is utterly broken in the world of work is there's a kind of a pendulum where on one side is busyness and then on the other side is purpose. And creative work is inherently purposeful. And I think if people can look at what they're going to do in a month, in a week, in a quarter and say, look, these are the purposeful projects that I'm going to work on. You're going to have jobs that will bore people from one end of the week to the next that you'll, you'll, you'll never remember. But in every, I get introspective, Alan, twice a year at my birthday and at Christmas. And I stand back and I think, what did I do this year that was actually worth it? Mm. And it's always the, the stuff that's got creativity at the heart of it that didn't go with the flow, that challenged the people around me. Some of them work really well and some of them don't work at all. But there's that thing where, you know, if you if you take a gamble and you put something out there. So I, I put a post up on LinkedIn and we're having this conversation and you'll always find like minded people. And the other thing about creativity is the beautiful thing about the digital world now is there's somebody somewhere in the world doing what you do better than what better, better than you can. And I always say to people when I meet them, everybody at work should have at least three or four muses, people from some of them could be in your own industry and some of them could be from a completely different discipline. But people that you tune into their frequency every now and again is a brilliant um company in Cardigan Bay in West Wales called Hyatt Denham and the the entrepreneur at the heart of it is a guy called David Hyatt and he is a master storyteller and he makes these really high-end jeans that are really uh, uh, really expensive and every couple of months I'll think I wonder what David's at now I'm not in the clothing business I never will be but I will always come away from interacting with something that he's done kind of more motivated and kind of sparked up to do something creative because I see he's experimented on something and I see how it's worked out. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a path that people should look at investing in um, to make their storytelling better. Yeah, it's to give yourself a bit of time, isn't it? To sit down, give yourself 15 minutes during the day to look at a website that inspires you or read a book or listen to a podcast or just something to give you a little bit of a, oh, God, that's a really great thing that they did. Maybe I could do that. Well, like I, I, I do um, a lot of writing this year because I've, I'm working on a couple of different podcast projects where it's required of me to, to write stuff. And uh, I gift myself this year, um, Thursday mornings, to do creative work and to do writing work. And look, I run my own business. It's easier for me to do that. But you know what? 
um, before this year, I didn't do it, and I, my output wasn't as um, as successful or as extensive as it is this year. So one of the big challenges for lots of people is how do you keep the world at bay, and how do you get into a creative routine? So I know for a fact that I can't be creative at my at my desk. Um, I go to the office to do busy work with my colleagues, to check in on projects, to see how people are getting on. But I go elsewhere to do my creative work. And I think if you know that and you know how to operate, um, that uh, there was a study done a couple of years ago about uh, the nature of creativity. And John Cleese, people Google it, John Cleese creativity. It's a brilliant talk that he made in the um, uh, late 1980s about the nature of creativity. And the seminal line in it is that creativity is not a talent. It's a way of operating. And that the people who... Uh, you, you know, we all know musicians and writers who musicians go to a studio, writers, you know, go, have their own process. But the people who invest in a way of operating get the best outcomes. And that as long as your IQ is at a certain level, um, you know, if you invest in a process of creativity, you will create good work. It's it's a, gr- a great way of thinking of it. Jack, thank you so much for your time. I just I, I want to leave everyone with kind of a thought that just struck me last night because I knew I was going to chat to you today on the podcast. And I'd been reading the Storytellers Manifesto and every night my daughter Serena, who's two and a half, um, she snuggles up in bed, I get in beside her and I, we read three stories. So the rule is you get three stories and then the light goes off. So it's kind of a way to kind of primer to say story one, story two, and this is definitely the last one now so she knows what's happening. And we were reading a book called The Mighty Splash, which was kind of a, is a book about an octopus who's really scared and won't, um, won't go out into the world on his own. But he believes in this superhero called the Mighty Splash, and it's the, if you can find it, I would recommend you buy it because it's just a really simple story about fear and dipping your toe into the water. Pardon the pun. Um, and it struck me that when we're reading these kids' books, these children's books, they are so simple in their in their writing. Uh, yet the story could be as complicated as anything but they're written so simply and so beautifully and they leave such a lasting impression it's a lovely way to prime yourself for your work and how somebody who writes a children's book can leave such a lasting impression in your mind and that's really what you should aim for at the end of the day I I completely agree um, I'm in the middle of um, I've created this character called Alfie who's the greatest idiot tooth fairy that ever uh, walked the face of the earth and instead of uh, dutifully coming in taking the tooth and leaving the money for the children he wakes the kids up (laughs) and there's a whole host of paperwork he has to fill out then and uh, every night the kids say tell me another Alfie story and uh, we also play a game which is great fun called a name a place a thing where the the kids pitch me a name a place and an object and I have to go make up a story on the spot from them and uh, it's it's a brilliant way to engage your creativity and it's back to that point we started with Kids are fully formed. They get this stuff. We were all kids once. It's hardwired in us. It doesn't take that long to reconnect with that. And if you do, really good stuff comes out of it. Jack, a pleasure to talk to you. Hopefully we cross paths again. Allgoodtales.com is where to go to find out how you can get your your hands on a copy of the Storytellers Manifesto. And uh, you were very good to, to to leave me two copies. So I passed on a copy to a good friend and I presume that was the idea, that it wasn't a mistake by putting two in the envelope. No, so. actually, because people love them and we think you can keep one and you can gift one to That's somebody. Exactly. You, won't want, you won't want to give it away. That's exactly what I did. Um, so it's a wonderful read. And again, you'll do it on if you're 
on the Lewis heading into work, if you've got 15 minutes to sit down and just peruse this on your lunch break, it is well worth it. And then take another hour to fill it out and, and put all your, your ideas into It's called the Storytellers Manifesto. You can find it more at allgoodtales.com. Jack Murray, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you.